This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. We did a lot of baseball in the first hour with the Mets winning tonight over the Braves. You have the Yankees off tonight, but they will be in action tomorrow uh, starting a three-game series in St. Louis. And for the Yankees, it's been a struggle as of late. Uh, but still feel pretty good about them. Garrett Cole was a big topic of conversation, just how uh, much of a panic mode should you be if you're a Yankee fan as far as he is concerned the rest of the way. Uh, so we'll get back to the baseball conversation. But I did want to transition into football. we got the Hall of Fame game tonight. So I guess it's the unofficial start to the NFL season. The, the Vegas Raiders uh, playing the Jags. It's 20-3. to No one played tonight. It was a game that, I mean... Even if you love football like I do, it's just no real interest level there. You know, good to see Doug Peterson back on the sidelines coaching the Jags. You know, Trevor Lawrence, Loki had a bad year last year. Uh, but since Urban Meyer was such an atrocity, you can kind of write it off and, and say yeah, the rookie season didn't really matter for Lawrence. But remember the Jets, it was, you know, tank for tank for Trevor, tank for Trevor. And he won too many games, and then you end up with Zach Wilson, who was not uh, by any metric last year good. So it'll be a season-long evaluation for him, as will be the case for Daniel Jones. Uh, But instead of it being year two for him, it's year four. So it's do or die for Daniel Jones, whereas Zach Wilson has a little bit more leeway, a little bit more room. But you still want to see something out of him. As far as the football is concerned, let's just talk about it from a a wide angle, and then we'll we'll delve deeper into what it looks like for both the Jets and the Giants. Darren, I'm going to teach you some football here. Uh, So for... The the both the football teams, you come across a stat like this and it's so depressing because there is no bigger sport in the country than the National Football League, and New York City is the media capital of the world. So how big is football in New York City? Well, it's huge. Except that since 2017, our two football teams, who you know, has the the first, or I'm sorry, our two football teams have the worst records. And in all of the sport since 2017, remember in 2016, uh, the Giants went to the playoffs and that was the boat trip game with Odell and they got blown out in Lambeau Field against my guy Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Since then, both the Jets and Giants have the worst record in all of the National Football League. That's a problem. So this year, it's like, can we just take a step forward? Can we have some semblance of what we would call a big game. Can it be week 12 and it's like, all right, here's a preview of this big game for the Jets. Week 13, here is a Giants playing in a significant game. Can we get there? Can we not be at the end of September and we're already looking at draft simulations? Because that seems to be the case every year where we now have to familiarize ourselves with all the highly touted draft prospects because these both these teams are just so damn awful we already have to look forward to the next season can we get a big game for the jets can we get a big game for the giants late in the season is that possible can we get to i don't know october november and when ESPN has its you know, huge Monday night football game, they show you the AFC playoff picture and the NFC playoff picture in the hunt. Can we see the giant logo on the NFC side in the hunt, the Jet logo? Is that at all possible? Because as I mentioned, 
what we've been given the last five years and the biggest sport in the country has just been has just been an embarrassment. Not even worth watching to the point where I mean we can call it fraudulent because maybe it is, but Jet and Giant fans should have been given uh, rights to root for other teams just in lieu of having to endure like what's just been not just it's not just just that they're losing it's everything that has happened. I mean, the buffoonery at head coaches for the Giants, running draw plays last year on, on third and long in its own territory, Sam Darnold seeing ghosts. It, it, it's just been a, a mono. I mean, like things that we've never heard of before happening to these two teams. It's such a joke. And and then you tune into to national shows. The only times the Jets and Giants are getting mentions is when it's like, all right, which head coaches are in the hot seat? Here's the Jet head coach. Here's the Giant head coach. Who are the worst quarterbacks in the league? All right, here's the Jet quarterback. Here's the Giant quarterback. It, that's the national attention these two teams are getting. And, and then locally, it's just about looking ahead to the draft. And Come on. Can, can we just have these, these guys be functional? And it sounds like we could. Let's start with the New York football Giants. It, I mean, there are no more excuses for Daniel Jones. No more. This is year four. Didn't get his fifth-year option picked up. It's about time he show us that he's worthy of a second contract. Now, playing for a contract either for the Giants or elsewhere, he needs to show that he was worthy of being taken number six overall when Gettleman did so uh, a couple of years ago. What was that, 2019? Yeah, 20, uh, 2018. That was 2018. So it has to happen at some point. I don't know what the precedent is for a guy of his career trajectory going from being so injury prone so turnover prone and all of a sudden turning it around but if there's one man who can do it who can tap into whatever that potential is for Daniel Jones the belief is that it is Brian Dable who was the offensive coordinator for Josh Allen now the biggest question mark comes uh into next season being who was more responsible for the other person's success was it Dable uh, being more responsive for, for Josh Allen, or was it the other way around and Josh Allen made Brian Dable? If you're a Giants fan, you're hoping it's more in the direction of being favorable for Dable because you he can turn this offense and this quarterback into a guy who can just be a top 12 to top 15 quarterback and, you're, and your offense not be as dysfunctional. And maybe another year removed from an ACL injury, Saquon Barkley can look anything like how he looked uh, when he was drafted with the number two overall pick. So for the Giants, it's about figuring out a way to maximize the ability of Daniel Jones because in one way or another, we're going to find out the verdict on this guy. We're not going to enter next season and still have questions. It's going to be, is Daniel Jones legitimately leading us into the next era of Giants football where winning is going to take place? When the Giants next win a playoff game, is Daniel Jones going to be behind center? We will get the answer to that question this season. For the Jets, before we even break it down, I heard Larry and Gordon talking about this earlier because Chad Ochocinco was on a Sports Illustrated podcast and Zach Wilson's name came up. And there are guys uh, in the media like Dan Olasky, who I respect a ton, who, who are he was high on Zach Wilson. I mean, no bigger Zach Wilson fan than Dan Olasky. So now you hear Chad Ochocinco talking about Zach Wilson, and here is what he had to say. 
Zach is extremely good. I had a chance to watch him at BYU, and he has an it factor. He's very Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying he's Patrick Mahomes, but you watch his mechanics, his throwing motions, the way he moves. He's very Patrick Mahomes. So I always became I became a fan of his very very early, which is why I'm so high on him week in and week out. And Zach Wilson is gonna flourish. He's gonna flourish in New York. It's all about Salah and whoever else is in management getting the right pieces around him. Him and Elijah Moore. I think this year they're gonna they're gonna create magic. They're gonna create magic, and they just continue to build over there in New York and put the right pieces around them, the job is going to become so much easier. And I say this all the time, when it comes to young quarterbacks, the better the supporting cast, the easier their job becomes, where the honus isn't just on them to get the job done. So the last part is is a bit obvious, and it's something that we've harped on for years, and it's, it's not just with Wilson, but it's been with Darnold, it's, it's Daniel Jones, we said it about Mark Sanchez. Uh, it, it comes down to you putting your young quarterback in an optimal position where he doesn't have to be Hercules every single Sunday in order for you to be in contention to win games. Now, he brings up Patrick Mahomes, and I mentioned this at the top of the show. It annoyed me at first because we keep doing this Patrick Mahomes comparison. Patrick Mahomes is one of one. I mean, like you could argue as far as like statistics are concerned, like the, the one of the greatest starts to an NFL career – that we've ever seen, one of, winning the MVP, winning the Super Bowl MVP, the number, he had the 50 touchdowns in his first full season as, as a starter. But his situation that he came into was was a lot different than what Zach Wilson was tasked with. The three seasons prior to Mahomes becoming the quarterback, the starting quarterback for the Chiefs, Kansas City won a total of 33 regular season games, were in the playoffs every single year. They were being held back by their quarterback, Alex Smith, who had actually um, played in a Super Bowl. But Alex Smith was not the answer. He was not going to get them over the hump. So you insert Patrick Patrick Mahomes, and he lights the world on fire, and he might be the best quarterback in the league. He might go down as one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen. But this idea that we we need to compare every young quarterback to Patrick Mahomes, I mean, it's fun to do because you know, what is sports talk without comparisons and debates and who's the best this and this? So we all soak it up. But just as far as Zach Wilson is concerned, I I would love for him to be Patrick Mahomes. I don't think at any point last season I watched him and thought, you know what, I'm watching the second coming of Pat Mahomes. I'm just being honest. Now, part of that was the offensive line was banked up. Uh, limited options at receivers, so they've sought to improve in that area, adding the two tight ends. Corey Davis, uh, another year t- under his belt. He was you know, pretty bad last year. Elijah Moore emerging as the number one receiver. Uh, you went out there and drafted Garrett Wilson. Robert Sala in year two should be a lot better than he was last year, correcting some of those mistakes, those in-game adjustments. So you know, Joe Douglas had, had a really good draft. So there's a lot going for Zach Wilson this season. I just don't – I mean, I don't mind the comparisons to Patrick Mahomes. It's just – if you're a Jet fan, like, it's it's really not the expectation. I just want to see him look like he belongs in the NFL. And the Jets got to go out there and win games. I mean, think about how hard it is to go 12 straight years in the NFL without a single playoff appearance. With all this roster turnover and everything that happens, it, it's just hard to – it's hard to be that bad for that long. And never get it right because the Jets, and when you're a team in the NFL, there's there's no lottery. 
you draft based on your record. So when you're that bad for that long, you're you're picking high in the draft every single year. You're just missing on all of these picks. So uh, it's going to be an evaluation for Zach Wilson. And we need to see him live up to the hype of being the number two overall pick in a draft. Because it's it, we've been doing this whole song and dance for the, for the last 15 years. The Jets, my entire lifetime, actually, uh, we've been looking for a quarterback. We were seduced by the, the 2015 season with Ryan Fitzpatrick, where, I mean, I don't know if you ever really felt like you had a franchise quarterback, but it was fun to watch them go on that six-game winning streak and set records with him, Marshall, and Decker, and you beat the, the Giants and the, and the Pats in back-to-back weeks, and then, then you go at that overtime game, and you get to week 17, and you got to go to Buffalo, and that essentially was a playoff game. So now you're you're feeling that pressure that you did five years ago when, when you were in the playoff conversation, and ultimately it didn't end well for them. Ryan Fitzpatrick throws three interceptions in that second half, and since then it's just been a dumpster fire at the position. So you had that one year of, a, of an aberration where things legitimately felt like you were on the cusp of you know just getting back into the playoffs, but it just hasn't happened. It's all going to rest on the shoulders of Zach Wilson, and it's a lot of pressure, but you know, such is the life of a quarterback in the NFL and one that plays in New York City. So we're going to watch two season-long evaluations. Daniel Jones, he has to give you 17 games next year. That The injury concerns have to be in the past. Zach Wilson, uh, not a good look for you when your backup quarterback, Mike White, and your third stringer, Josh Johnson, had moments where he, they looked better than you did. And I get he's a rookie, so he's going to go through some growing pains. But there were moments last year where Zach Wilson just looked like, you know, Jacob Perry was out there. No, no disrespect to you, Jacob. I'll, I'll go with Harvey because I just I just met Harvey. So let me let me throw Harvey's name. It looked like Harvey back there. Appreciate it, Harvey Cruz. So I, I, I I'm I'm excited, but I'm also nervous at the same time. As a Jet fan, you're conditioned to always be cautiously optimistic because whenever the worst can happen whenever you're faced with a situation that is either going to be the best case scenario or the worst case scenario you're really staring at the latter and it's the worst case scenario and that's just something that as a jet fan you have to uh, you, you deal with but i want to be cautiously optimistic i want to be excited about football season starting next month it, it's crazy next month we'll get some actual nfl football regular season uh september 11th so that should be fun uh, for everyone in the last five years, except for if you were a Jets or a Giants fan, where, as I mentioned, the, the two worst records in all of football, hard to do. More football coming up. We'll take your phone calls, 800-919-3776. Hit me up on Twitter, at Ty D. Butler, and Instagram as well, 987 ESPN. Speaking of the Jets, DNR, uh, they're going to be at Jets camp in about Five and a half hours from now. That's pretty early. 5 a.m., they're going to be at the Jet Complex. Dave Rothenberg and Rick DiPietro. So make sure you check those guys out 5 to 8 a.m. every morning right here on 98.7 ESPN. It would have been nice to receive an invite. Dave's supposed to be my guy. He knows I'm a big Jet fan. It's been a long time coming. 
So I, w- I would expect for him to have invited me, you know, come down and meet some of the players and j- introduce me to the GM, Joey D, Robert Sala. That would have been a cool time. But I guess, you know, they say sometimes your friends aren't really your friends. I think, I mean, what did you do to Dave in the last uh, couple of days for you not to get invited? I don't know. They fake friends, man. It's just not, not, not a good guy. Hey, this would have been a, a nice experience. Because obviously he's a giant fan and he's he's been going crazy with how the team has performed, and it, it's awkward for him because I guess you can still point to the championships that the Giants have won. He's seen them win four, but not being able to trash talk Jet fans the way that he has in the past, maybe he's feeling a little hurt. Rick DiPietro's a Jet fan, so I mean it, it should be a good time. Those those guys spending a, a down there at the Jet Complex. Uh, but taking a look at the Jet schedule, it, it's so funny. Like I talk to Jet fans and it's like. Well, it's a tough schedule. Yeah, that's what usually happens when you're bad. Every schedule looks tough when you're a bad team. So they start out uh, the first four games are all against the AFC North. It's home for Baltimore at Cleveland, home for Cincinnati, and then you go to Pittsburgh. In a weird way, I love starting the season with Baltimore because that's going to be an exceptional team. You know, Lamar Jackson's an MVP quarterback. Uh, the 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 Ravens had a disappointing year last year, but they were plagued by injuries. So you expect them to bounce back. But it, if there's any week I want to play Baltimore, you catch them sleeping week one, because I, I I will be shocked if the Jets are able to beat the Bengals again in week three. After that debacle last year, the Bengals losing to Mike White. Um, I forget who they were playing the the week after, but it was clear that the Bengals had completely looked past the Jets and were already on that next week, and the Jets were able to beat them pretty good. Uh, so I, I, I don't feel good about that game at all. But Baltimore starting, who knows what can happen. Week one, crazy things happened in week one. Last year, uh, Aaron Rodgers had his worst performance of the year at, uh, against the Saints. What was it, like 38-3? to It was something nuts like that. And then he won the MVP, and the Packers were the one seed in, in the NFC. So crazy things happen week one. If, if you're going to play Baltimore, that's when I want to have it. Now, week two is interesting with, with Cleveland because we have no idea what's going to happen with this Deshaun Watson situation. Uh, he was suspended for six games, but now the league, uh, in an unprecedented way, is appealing its a, that suspension. So there's a chance that um, Deshaun Watson and the Players Association can, Association can sue, and then there's an injunction. So maybe he does end up playing this season uh, to start the year. So who knows what's going to happen? We have no idea. Uh, but Baltimore, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh to start the year. It's tough, but again, when you're a bad team, every game looks tough. Home for Miami, that's tough. At Green Bay, that's tough. Here, here's what's here is uh, the 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 situation you're in if you're a Jets fan, and it's similar to what the Knicks went through, or I thought the Knicks were going to go through, because remember the Knicks last year? They were the the four seed in the East, and um. They had outperformed everyone's expectations because they were supposed to be a lottery team, and they were so good they were able to host a home playoff series. Now they went down in five games to the Hawks, but it was a great season for the Knicks. Looking forward to next year. I thought that what they were going to be faced with was getting better, but it not showing up in the standings. Because I thought the Knicks could be a better team this year, but because the conference and everyone around them had also gotten better, I thought it, they, they could actually become a worse team as far as the standings were concerned, going from the four seed to maybe a playing game. With the Jets, 
the same thing can happen. Like you can be a much better team than you were last year. Hard to be worse. The defense was a mess. So if everything is answered in the affirmative where Wilson takes the next step and um, and Robert Sala takes the next step and the defense is much improved and, you know, Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson, they provide, you know, tangible results this this early as rookies. You can get a lot better and still not be anywhere close to being a playoff team because the conference is loaded. I mean, you look at the quarterbacks. Josh Allen could have won the MVP last year. Joe Burrow was in the Super Bowl. Uh, again, we don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. Lamar Jackson, he's a, f- a former league MVP. You've got Trevor Lawrence on his rise. Russell Wilson now in Denver. Patrick Mahomes might be the best quarterback in football. Derek Carr always has his team in playoff contention. And Justin Herbert might have the highest upside outside of Patrick Mahomes in all of football. So it's a loaded conference with quarterbacks. And then in your own division, I'm not sold on Tua and the Dolphins, but you know them adding Tyreek Hill to that grouping helps make your quarterback better. The Patriots, as, as long as they employ Bill Belichick, they're going to be a force. I, the Jets haven't won a division game in three years. In three years, the Jets haven't won a division game. So overcoming your own division and then all the other quarterbacks around you is going to be tough. Even if they're an improved team, hard for them to to really touch the playoffs. I would love for them to make the playoffs. Man, it's been 12 years. That's a long time. As far as the Giants are concerned, uh, the Cowboys and the Eagles, I think are everyone would mostly agree that they're going to be the ones battling for that division crown. Um, who knows what the, the commanders are going to get out of Carson Wentz. But the Giants, if everything goes right and, and Barkley is better, how does Galladay go an entire season last year without a touchdown? But you would assume he's going to you know, be better this year. And, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau is able to provide an impact on that defense. And you have Evan Neal helping your offensive line and Daniel Jones can stay healthy. Just be in a conversation for the division. That's all we're asking of these football teams. Let's, let's, let's be able to talk about you in November into early December. By the way, I came across what I thought was like just such a fascinating Sports Center tweet. And I'm going to ask Jacob and Harvey to weigh in on, on this question that I came across on Sports Center three hours ago. It's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And we'll do that next coming up, 9870 ESPN. Uh, just a quick recap on what we've talked about tonight. So the Mets get the win at City Field against the Braves, 6-4 to four, the final score. Carrasco, uh, there, there's a lot of depth in that rotation for the Mets. Carrasco looked good tonight, but, I mean, when you got DeGrom, Scherzer, and, and Bassett, and, and, and Taiwan Walker, or Taiwan Walker, I'm sorry, um, Carrasco, not much is going to be expected of him. It's a deep rotation. So I understand you complaining about the bullpen, but one of those guys is going to end up going to the bullpen in the playoffs anyway. Uh, to me, the concern should be winning this division. You don't want to play an extra round. You don't want to tax these guys more than you have to. That that first round buy is so big, and I don't think it's being talked about enough. 
You cannot, as a Met fan, concede to the Braves, who you now lead by five games in that division, once by ten and a half games. You can't concede. You can't concede emotionally, emotionally, to losing this lead because it would be traumatic in a sense of uh, the psyche of your team um, takes a hit. Blowing that big of a lead, this team doesn't have playoff experience under its belt, so it's not like they know how to deal with adversity in October. And now you're playing an extra round with two aging pitchers who have an injury history. So I think winning that division is important. Off to a good start in this series. You can slam the door in the Braves in the next couple of weeks. You play them nine times in the next week and a half. So a big, big, big uh, series opening win for the Mets tonight. Yankees off tonight, back in action tomorrow against St. Louis. I'm not sounding the alarm on Garrett Cole just yet, but there are some numbers that will point to him not being the same pitcher he was uh, when he first got to Houston. And it's not just that he's not the same pitcher. It's not even close. Like Yankee fans, uh, had a Yankee fan say he's holding his breath every time Garrett Cole's on the mound. That's a guy you just paid $324 million to over nine years. So that's not good. But I still feel good about the Yankees. Solid trade deadline where they added uh, Montas and then, you know, some some relievers. F. Ross and Trevino is going to add to that bullpen. Hopefully Chapman can come back and be any semblance of what he was in his prime with the Yankees. So I'm looking forward to seeing him. Ben Benintendi, a struggle. I believe he's, what, one for 21 so far as a Yankee? And he was a guy who hit for average. Not a lot of power, but for average. And it just hasn't worked out yet. And for Yankee fans, a left-handed outfielder who not hitting well... <laughs> All the makings of Joey Gallo, we just saw that on his way out of town. So hopefully Ben Benintendi can turn the corner, which I assume he will. He has uh, played in a big market, won a World Series with the Red Sox. So I'm not um, expecting him to be a guy who is going to succumb to uh, the gravity that is New York City. All right, so here's the tweet. Uh, Sports Center put this out three hours ago. I'm going to come to you first, Jacob. The worst collapse of all time, and here are... The four options. Is it 2016 Warriors-Cavs blowing a 3-1 lead? The first time in NBA history a team blew a 3-1 lead. Heard Larry and and Gordon talking about this on my drive-in. The Falcons blowing a 28-3 lead in the 2016 Super Bowl to Brady's Patriots. And that was a game I remember. Like I, As a Jet fan, you just you just have such a, an extreme and passionate hatred for the Patriots. I You would have thought I was a Falcons fan the way I was jumping up and down and all for it to come crashing and burning. And literally everything that could go wrong for the Falcons went wrong, and then they lose that game in overtime, 34-28. Uh, so you have the 2016 Cavs, the, the 2016 Falcons, or a little more close to home, the Yankees blowing a 3-0 lead to the Red Sox. A 3-0 lead had never been blown before in baseball history. This was a Yankee team that had own the Red Sox. The Red Sox hadn't won a championship uh, in 86 years. Uh, you had just beaten them the year before in a seven-game series on a walk-off to Aaron Boone, and now they're under new management. And people forget this. Uh, I was actually reminded of this watching the, the Jeter documentary. Alex Rodriguez was, was almost a Red Sox uh, before you know that didn't happen. Um, the Players Association kind of weighed in and had issues with the contract. So he ends up going to the Yankees. The Yankees blow a 3-1, uh, 3-0 lead in the ALCS. So the the worst collapse of all time, is it Warriors, Cavs, Falcons, Pats, Yankees, Red Sox, or other? Well, I remember uh, basically all these vividly, like 
there were yesterday. So these were absolutely great sports moments. One more painful than the other two. Yes, one more painful. <laughs> but well, me not being a Yankee fan. Yeah, but you're a yes. Mets fan. You're used to misery. So that, I mean, what is? <laughs> but go ahead. I mean, that old five oh six year. It was a, it was a couple tough years. For I the mean, Mets. yeah, oh seven blowing that lead. Oh yeah. eight, the twenty fifteen World Series. Listen, I please, mean, please let's not get into it. That please. Lucas due to throw. I mean, it's still traveling in the air somewhere. We're still waiting for it to come down. All right. What happened to Daniel Murphy? Uh, we were, well, okay. <laughs> All right, Mr. Yankee. All right, Mr. Yankee. I think to me, uh, as great as the Yankee-Red Sox rivalry is, uh, that one wasn't in the World Series. Uh, so, as you know, blowing a 3-0 lead is kind of big, and yes, it never happened uh, prior to that. Uh, but to me, the biggest collapse has to be the Pats and Seahawks. Like 28-3, that's a game you should have been running the oh, ball. Pats Falcons, you mean? I mean, but yeah, Pats Falcons, that's what I mean. But also, Pats Seahawks, I will put there, too. Uh, which oh, is with game. The, the Russell Wilson, yeah, the last play, which was. Uh, but see, that's a that's just a, a that's a one bad decision that led to an interception, Malcolm Butler. But was it really? I, I felt like it was a it was a compounded of uh, bad decision. Yeah, the that play led call between uh, play calling. I mean, then you got Russell Wilson, who's a guy who should be uh, at that point where he's like, you know what, coach, we're going with this play <laughs> because that this seems right to me. But let me give the ball to my best player because this play always works. Exact, Marshall Lynch, here's the ball. Exactly, straight up the middle for a guy like that. But to me, like I said, uh, the Falcons and Pats game was probably the the worst collapse. Uh, I mean, for the three one Warriors, you knew if anybody was going to come back three one, it was going to be LeBron James, and he's literally, arguably, one of the greatest players in history. Uh, so. I'm not really like blown away by that, but yeah, like I said, it would just be Falcons, uh, Pets. It's tough for me. I'm gonna eliminate the Warriors, Cavs, just because, like you said, LeBron's probably the greatest player ever. Um, I mean, they were a 73 win team, and they should have won the series, but the Yankees losing four straight games, including two at home, game six and game seven, so they lost. Game they won, if I remember correctly, they won something like nineteen to eight in Game Three in Fenway Park. Lost Game Four in a walk off. Uh, Dave Roberts, I will, I will always be convinced that he was he was out, even though he was safe. But in my my mind just tells me he was out. They lost Game Four in a walk off. Game Five on a walk off. Game Six they come home. I knew they were. I knew that was the must win game because if you lose Game Six after the way you've lost Games Three and Four. I just had no faith in them being able to come back and win a Game 7. And once it gets to a Game 7, the Red Sox are just in your head at that point. You're just going to a Game 7 the year before. Probably should have lost that game uh, if Greedy Little doesn't leave Pedro in as long as he did. So I, that that's it. Losing four straight games after going 3-0, up 3-0, that, that to me is, is monumental. And I, it has to be worse because as bad as... The Falcons' pats was like it happened in one game, and I get it's the second half. This is this is what makes it such a good question. That that happened in one game. You just had a bad half. The Yankees had thirty six straight bad innings, and actually more than thirty six because, as I mentioned, Game Five um, went to extra, went to extras uh, when when Ortiz hit the walk off. I believe it was off of uh, Quantrill. That's a that's a tough one. That is a tough one. Jonathan in LA wants to weigh in on this. What's up, Jonathan? Ty D. Butler, what's up, man? Yo. I always call Saturday morning, but I I finally got you on your show. Yo, what's up, bro? Talk to me. How you feeling? 
All right, man. So I'm from L.A., but I'm all over the place. I'm a, a diehard Yankees fan, a Lakers fan, and a Falcons fan. I ran out when I heard you guys talking about this. It kind of like uh, put a little scratch on my heart right now, man. That's a to tough this one. day, man. Yeah, it's a tough one. Dude, yeah. I threw a big old, I threw a big old Super Bowl party. It was one of the best days of my life. Wait, time best out. Best days. Time Everyone out. congratulations. Time out. Time out. Time out. I, I got a. <laughs> First I of all, question out time, but go ahead. Wait, when your team, like, I can't even wrap my head around your team being in the Super Bowl and you throwing a Super Bowl party. Because it can only end one of two ways. Like, uh, yes, if you win, everyone's happy. But you also have to account for what the worst case scenario is, and that's losing and and not wanting to be around anyone. I I could if the Jets right. were ever in a Super Bowl, there's no way I'm throwing a party. Like that's never gonna happen. Okay. Like, well, first of all, I'm a Falcons fan, so I mean, for me, I'm. I mean, the, the Falcons. It was like, oh my God, is the Falcons? I came with those intentions that the Falcons were going to lose anyway. So I'm like, you know, let's do a little party, a little food. It's nothing crazy. Just a good, you know, family gathering, having food. I told my wife, babe, I'm just going to come with the intention that the Falcons are going to lose. But come on, the show they did to me, they put my, oh, my God, by halftime, all of my family were congratulating me. (laughs) By the start of the fourth quarter, my stepdad came in with a champagne bottle, giving it to me. I'm like, dude, get, get, get that away from me. I was on my knees by the fourth quarter. When Tom Brady came back and he gave it to, uh, I forgot the running back's name, and just did that. That's it. Dude. I, I, I had to tell everyone to go home. I went Dave, I went Rothenberg on everyone. I told everyone to just leave, get out of my house. And I, I was just watching HBO and movies for the next month or two. But to, to this day, man, still burns. And I heard you guys talking right now, and now I'm not going to go to sleep comfortable, man. <laughs> but, uh, you got, hey, Ty, you're doing a hell of a show. Hopefully you can do this every night now and then, man. Thank you so well, much. Have a good night, brother. You Thank too, you. man. You're in you're in LA. Um, I'm also a Lakers fan, so we agree there. Yankees as well. That's a tough one. Throwing a Super Bowl party uh, and being congratulated as your team is up 28 to three that year. Remember, the Falcons had like the sixth best offensive attack in NFL history. Matt Ryan was the MVP. You know, Kyle Shanahan was just such an offensive genius. They were just running rampant. Brady threw a pick six. Like a- everything was going right until it didn't. And to have people coming up to you and saying congratulations uh, right before your team blew a twenty-eight to three lead—that's a tough one. Harvey, are you a are you a Yankees fan at all? Yes, I am. So you answer this question: Which one's the worst collapse of all time? Or it gives you room for other other. Like, is there something else that comes to mind? To me, like, this has to be the list, and I just don't know that I can get past, and because it's closer to home, the Yankees winning, losing four straight to the Red Sox. That that Yankee team. Uh, I do agree with you that the Yankees' collapse is number one, especially for me because, I mean, I'm, I'm like a kid at the time, and I'm, I'm watching these games go down, and I'm just befuddled at how they don't win not one game to go on to the World Series because, remember, it's not like you're playing a buzzsaw from the end now. It was the Cardinals of all teams. That's the part that hurt. And that's the part that gets lost Like when you recall everything that happened. Whoever won this series was going to be the prohibitive favorites to win the title. Yes. And the Cardinals were waiting there. The Red Sox, I think the Red Sox ended up sweeping them, if yes. I'm not mistaken. Yes. And like the being that close, 
to winning another championship, only to to lose four straight and your season be over. I just remember Kevin Millar prior to Game Five. He's sitting in the in the dugout at Fenway Park, and and he says, "Don't let us win tonight. Just don't let us win tonight." And then they won tonight, and they didn't stop. They didn't stop winning. They literally won the rest of the way. Won eight straight games to close the playoffs out. And that the curse uh, of Bambino was over. It, it's so heartbreaking. And Jeter talks about it in his documentary. Um, and it's just that that's that's a, a, a really depressing way to go out. That That's a really depressing way to go out. And 04 for me as a Laker fan was tough because you lose to the Pistons. Now that was in five games. Um, you were heavy favorites, but that, that series was over. Immediately, there was too much quarreling going on on that Laker team, but I mean the, the the Yankees losing that way. All of these are terrible. Like the the Cavs, the Cavs coming back from three one down in the finals against the reigning two time MVP, unanimous MVP, and a seventy three and nine Warriors team. All of them were terrible. What about the? I know. We probably, I mean, for most Giants fans, they'll be happy. But what about the perfect season? Oh, for the, the, the nineteen and zero. Yeah, that two thousand and seven season. See, that's a uh, that's a weird time for me because as a Jet fan, it's like, who do you root for? Who do you root for? Do you, do you root for the 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 team you share stadiums with, or the team in your division who you hate? So that year, I actually rooted for the Giants. There's no way I can sit and watch the Patriots go 19 and 0. That's just disgusting. Listen, Atta boy. I'm not gonna. You know what? I was the Jets fan who wanted to see history made. Oh, come on. That's I was. Uh, I was that guy. Oh, I, I, I'm I glad be, you've learned from the error of your ways. I because, might be in the minority, but yes, I was that guy. You wanted to see history by your division rival? Nah, come on, come on, man. G. That like, that year, I was definitely rooting for the Giants. But then 2011 comes and. For me, it's like, man, I just saw the Giants win a title. Like, I don't want to see them win again. This would be number four for them. And the Jets are just stuck on duh. Like, I, I, I so I was rooting for the, I was rooting for the Pats that year, and the, the Giants win again. Um, but yeah, that, that, but that wasn't a collapse. The football, football being one and done, like the Pats losing that game. Is is bad because they were undefeated and they were heavy favorites over the Giants. And I remember Brady laughing about the idea that um, the, the the Giants would beat them. That, that it's not a I don't consider that to be a collapse. Like it's it's one game, it's one game. Whereas at the Falcon situation, it's still one game, but you're up twenty five in the third quarter. We'll wrap up with your calls going to midnight right here on ninety eight seven ESPN. <laughs> Uh, we're having a blast here. We stumbled across a sports center tweet about the worst collapses uh, in sports history, and it came down to three of the options being the Cavs coming back or talking about collapses. You want to talk about the team that collapsed. Uh, the Warriors blowing a 3-1 lead in the 2016 finals, uh, which we eliminated. It was the Falcons blowing a 28-3 lead in the 2016 Super Bowl versus the Yankees losing four straight to the Red Sox after going up three. I guess it comes down to, as far as degree of difficulty, which is harder to do? Is it harder to lose four straight baseball games as a team that's favored after you've gone up 3-0 or to blow a 25-point second-half lead, albeit to the greatest quarterback of all time and the greatest coach of all time? we got some phone calls lined up as we power through the rest of the show. Joe and Lindbrook wants to chime in on the worst sports uh, collapse. What's up, man? 
Hey, Ty. Uh, great work on the show. Congrats. Thank you, bro. Um, I think you got to go with the Yankees. Um, when you when you look at it in, in context as well, that, you know, ending the curse of the Bambino and the fact that since, uh, you know, the Red Sox, I think, are up to four World Series the Yankees won. Yeah. So I think when you... In the moment itself, it was bad enough, but then when you add the context of, like, what has happened since, I mean, you know, the Falcons... The Patriots are the Patriots. That was a dynastic team. I mean, you know, he lost to one of the greatest teams of all time. The Yankees opening up the Pandora's box and the Red Sox and the curse in such a calamitous way. I think it's, I mean, that, that Yankee series, I remember a ton of moments from that series. I'm not even a Yankee fan, but, I mean, I was watching it. I was glued to the TV, and, and you know, I mean, between the bloody sock and just Robert Steele, the Ortiz uh, winning yeah. in the extras. I, that one sticks in my head more than anything else. Yeah, it has to, and I appreciate the call, Joe. I mean, listen, embarrassed to say this, maybe, but I did cry after Game 6. I knew the series was over. The Kurt Schilling bloody sock, which might not have been a bloody sock, but who, whatever. The series was done after they lost Game 6. There was no chance they were going to win Game 7. Uh, Ortiz, I believe, in, in the first inning of Game 7, hit a two-run shot. Johnny Damon hits a grand slam. The series was done after Game 6. Uh, but that was only confirmed after the first or second inning in Game 7. Jason is in a taxi. He wants to talk collapses. What's up, Jason? Hey, brother. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. What's up, man? Talk to me. Your last caller made pretty much every point that I was going to say about the Yankees and the Red Sox as far as the, you know, the Yankees were... <clears throat> And still are a glamour franchise, but, you know, all the championships, best franchise in the history of sports. And then to allow your hated rivals to not only beat you in four straight games, and I mean in baseball, that's really saying something because even the worst teams in the league still win 60, 70 games during a regular season. You find a way so to win a game. It. Yeah, you find a way. And I'm, 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 up, yeah, I'm, about you, to, I'm up against the clock right now. I appreciate the call, um, Jason. You find a way to win one game. You were favored to win the series. You go up 3-0. You are knocking on the door of winning a World Series. The Cardinals had no chance. Whoever emerged from that championship series was going to be the favorites. Cardinals had no shot. So as the call is brought up, and, and then since then, in 04, the Red Sox have won four championships. You've won one. Then you have the 2018 year that the Red Sox won the title. They beat you in the division series. Last year, they beat you in the wild card. So since then, hasn't been a lot of success emanating from Yankeeville. Meanwhile, the Red Sox... Uh, it's, it feels like they're either one of the best teams in baseball or one of the worst teams, but when they're one of the best, they end up winning. And the Yankees have been consistently good, but just haven't won at the clip that the Red Sox have won. So uh, I, I I would say, as far as degree of difficulty is concerned, losing four straight baseball games is a lot harder than blowing a 25-point second half uh, lead in the National Football League. Jacob, during the breakthrough this out, Miami losing that 2011 series to the Mavs. My only retort to that was, would be there was really no separation. Miami went up 1-0 and then 2-1 and then lost the series. They weren't up like two games. And I get talent-wise, you have the big three with White, with um, LeBron, Wade, and Bosh against Dirk and, you know, a bunch of Jason Kidd, obviously, is the Hall of Fame and Tyson Chandler. But Dirk in his prime and then everyone else was just guys because like Jason Kidd wasn't in his prime anymore and Tyson Chandler was what he was. But I, I don't know if that gets to the level of, of these collapses. So I think um, Yankees-Red Sox in 04 has 
to quote unquote win this poll, which is a terrible thing. We've had an excellent time tonight. Did a lot of baseball. Congrats to the Mets fans who left City Field with the victory tonight. You got four more to play with this weekend. Big, big series against the Atlanta Braves. Got a chance to put them away. You can do just that. And you have the pitchers going for you. With DeGrom back, looking forward to seeing him back on the mound on Sunday. Yankees off tonight, but back in action tomorrow. Big three-game set against another good team in the Cardinals, who they traded Jordan Montgomery to. I, that trade still doesn't make sense to me, but we'll see what happens the rest of the way. Got to talk some football as well. It's been a pleasure hanging with you guys. Harvey and Jacob, appreciate the love and help tonight. We'll be back at it. I'll talk to you in 22 hours right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN.